We are finally to NFL Draft Eve. The Seahawks and all 32 teams will be taking part in the draft starting tomorrow. What do we expect is going to happen in the first round and beyond? Rob and I are going to be dishing out our final predictions and our final mock drafts in a jam-packed Wednesday episode. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The long wait is finally over. We are 24 hours away. It is NFL Draft Eve. This time tomorrow, John Schneider and company will be preparing to make the number five selection or or maybe another pick. We don't know what's going to happen on that front, but certainly an unpredictable draft coming up, as unpredictable as we've seen heading into Thursday's festivities in Kansas City. Rob and I are going to be dishing out our final mock drafts today and maybe having a chance to critique and skewer the perspective host draft a little bit. And we're going to cap off our player previews with the deepest position group in this entire draft at cornerback only can talk about 12 players. That was very difficult to do with this group jam-packed episode coming your way here on NFL draft Eve. So let's get to it now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of locked on Seahawks. The NFL draft is always unpredictable, but this year, at least compared to last season, There was a pretty good sense with the Seahawks were going to be doing with their number nine overall pick, needing a tackle this year. The options are plenty, and the teams in front of them, aside from Carolina, pick number one, nobody really knows what to expect. And so, Rob, this is the perfect draft to maybe dish out some bold takeaways the night before, some bold predictions, what we expect is going to happen. And I know that you want to talk quarterbacks because it's been such a big topic all offseason long. Will the Seahawks take a QB? at number five overall is there going to be three or four QBs gone in the first four picks things of that nature but you maybe have a little bit different viewpoint on what's going to happen tomorrow night yeah I I do I think that there's a lot of people who are falling in love with a bunch of highlight reels and aren't watching the actual tape of these quarterbacks I I think that there's a lot of people out there in the media or the fans there sure are saying sure sign me up I want to take one of these quarterbacks top five top ten selection it's not their job that's on the line there's not a lot of general managers or head coaches, Corbin, who are going to sign up for a guy like, a, a, let's say, a Will Levis, for example, who, you know, while he is very talented, also has some questions about, you know, how well he is going to be able to transition uh, to the NFL. There, there's some concerns about, you know, just kind of who he is as, uh, you know, as a leader. He was not a guy that put the team on his back and led to a whole bunch of victory. Same thing with Anthony Richardson. You know, 13 career starts, 15 54% completion rate over his entire career. I mean, how many, you tell me how many head coaches or general managers in the top 10, top 15, top 20, when you select a quarterback in the first round, the NFL draft, that's basically a ticking clock for a coach and a general manager. If this is your guy, you just signed up for him, then you better start winning here pretty soon. And so again, I, to me, one of my kind of bold predictions in this draft class, Corbin, is I think that the, the quarterbacks are very talented. As we talked about before, I've got five quarterbacks going in my first round mock draft, but I only have two of them going in the top 10. 
and and neither of them going to the Seahawks at number five overall. I got I got Bryce Young going number one overall. I got CJ Stroud going number four to the Indianapolis Colts. Certainly the Houston Texans could take a quarterback at number two. Certainly the Arizona Cardinals at number three could trade out and give somebody else an opportunity at a quarterback. I just think that there's better talent along the line of scrimmage, and those guys play immediately. The 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 success rate of those players is so much higher. I do think that's one of my quote unquote bold predictions of this draft class. Is, is I think that the quarterbacks are going to go. I think, again, I think there could be five selected in the first round, including Hendon Hooker. But at the same time, I do think that they're going to be sprinkled throughout the first round rather than being this clump of four of the top five picks or whatever, as so many people have projected. I've been on the fence with how many quarterbacks are going to go in the first four picks, but I am convinced now the Houston Texans are not taking one, which I don't really completely understand necessarily because of their situation, but – I am convinced that they are going to take a defensive player because that is going to be the mentality of this team under their new coach, D'Amico Ryans. And so I think they're going to take a defender. And I think Arizona, they'll field some offers from teams looking to trade up. But that's a team that has a lot of holes on defense that they need to address. So I just have a feeling both those teams are going to take defensive players. So I only have two QBs going in the first five picks and the Seahawks not being one of them that's taking a quarterback as well. That's where I stand here in the night before the draft. I've solidified my prediction on that. Another prediction that I have, we know John Schneider likes making trades during the draft. Last year, though, only had one. And with 10 picks going into the draft, maybe not as much incentive to move up and down the board. But then you look at the roster, which is 52 players. I think the Seahawks are going to get out of this draft with at least 12 draft picks. I could see a scenario where John Schneider makes 14 or 15 picks if teams are willing to move around the board because they need to bring in talent and they need to bring in depth at a bunch of different positions. So I'm saying at least 12 draft picks. They start with 10. I think they're going to acquire at least two additional ones so that John Schneider can really have some fun during draft weekend. Yeah, I think that that's a you know a, a very savvy prediction because I think that it's it's likely to happen. I think there's a possibility to see how it trades at a five, twenty, um, you know, maybe even both of them. Um, you know, and as we talked about before, Seattle is up against a salary cap. Only 52 players currently on their roster. That is, you know, I mean, a dozen uh, lower than, than typical. So I do think that that's a possibility. I, I'm going to kind of pivot off of your prediction here, Corbin, and, and go to one of mine. And, and that is, I really think that the interior of the offensive line is a really, really important position of concern for the Seahawks. And, and you know, I, I've been kind of pounding the table for years now at the center position. But right now you got Evan Brown brought in he's only on a one-year deal you got phil haynes resigned on a one-year deal you got damian lewis only has one year remaining on his rookie contract so all of seattle's interior offensive line only have one more year on their contract so here again it's not my bold. i'm not so sure that bold is the right word but from a national perspective everybody's focusing on seattle at quarterback or defensive line, and I am telling you, interior offensive line has to be a priority. Would not be surprised off the club went for an interior offensive lineman in the first round. But if not, I would be stunned if Seattle does not take an interior offensive lineman by the end of day two. Currently, Seattle has four selections in, in that group. I very much expect at least one of them to be an interior offensive line guard center. We'll see what, what you know what it comes down to, but I do expect one of those players to be a guard or center. As far as positional predictions for me, I'm going to have a general prediction and then where the Seahawks fit into this prediction-wise. I think only four safeties are going to go in the first three rounds. That is what I think of this draft class at that position, and I think that the league is going to represent that. 
There's only a handful of guys that I think are worthy picking there. I can see a ton going off the board early day three. But I think the Seahawks are going to be one of the four teams that take a safety in the first three rounds. Yes, this position that when everybody's healthy, you would think would be the least concerning. But Jamal Adams coming off the injuries that he's coming off of and losing Ryan Neal. I think that Pete Carroll and John Schneider, even after bringing in Julian Love and free agency, I think they are going to look at this class and think this may be an opportunity for us to get a player with this not being a great safety class. This might be an opportunity for us to get a guy that maybe some years would have been viewed more favorably if the position group was a bit better. And they might be able to get a really solid developmental safety that eventually can take over. And it gives you insurance. You need a hedge with Jamal Adams at the strong safety position. And I think the Seahawks are going to be much more aggressive doing that than maybe a lot of outsiders expect they're going to be. So not only do I think there's only going to be four safeties picked the first three rounds, but I think one of those will be picked by the Seattle Seahawks on day two. Yeah, I, I like it. I think that that makes some sense. Uh, you know, financially, it, it makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks. Sense, of course, in a money term. And then logically, it just makes some sense because, as you mentioned, Seattle no longer has Ryan Neal. Jamal Adams, you, you can't rely on him. Quandre Diggs is aging as well, as good of a football player uh, and newsbreaker as, as he is. Um, so I, I do think that this is a safety class that Seattle might be able to take advantage of. I would... I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think that if Seattle's going to go with a defensive back, then it might be a safety rather than a cornerback. And there's been so much talk about corners. And we talked about Witherspoon at number five overall as kind of a fallback option, or maybe Gonzalez from Oregon. Terrific players. I, I'm not denying they're not terrific players. I just look at Seattle's, the, the way that they've constructed their roster, they've got six corners that are already signed not only through this season but next season that is their strongest positional group on the roster at this point so i think it's unlikely as much as it breaks my heart because this is a good cornerback class as you said earlier corbin i would love to see seattle take a cornerback just because i think that that's a a really talented position group at the same time i don't think that there really are spots on seattle's roster at least not as gaping of holes that there are in so many other positional groups so my bold prediction at this point is that seattle exits the 2023 nfl draft without taking a single cornerback and i think that would hurt pete carroll i think it just hurts his soul i think he wants to take one but i just don't know that they actually are going to line up for seattle selecting a cornerback certainly not one early um even though i again think that it makes some sense i just don't think that it fits in with the way that seattle's salary and roster is currently constructed you make some very good points there because depth wise and Roster status-wise, that is the most secure position that the Seahawks right now have on their entire roster. So maybe that will be a position that they look away from. We'll just have to wait and see. Coming up next, who do Rob and I think the Seahawks are going to be selecting in this year's NFL draft? We've had some practice mock drafts at this point, but now we are dishing the real deal. Our final mocks, what we believe is going to happen Thursday through Saturday for John Schneider and company. We'll get to those mock drafts coming up next year on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever, the Built Bar. You got to try it. If you're like me and you want to make a healthier snack choice but don't want to compromise taste, I've got just the thing for you. Built Bars and Built Puffs. They're healthy. They taste amazing. They taste like candy bars. You're not going to believe that they're good for you. Covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right. 100% real chocolate and unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, my personal favorite, 
cookies and cream. I'm not sure how they do it, but they keep making these amazing bars that taste like candy bars while also having amazing macros, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait at home to get a box. For years, we've been telling you to order Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can go get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can get specialty flavors still at Built.com. That's right. Head your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can also pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate bars, or coconut puff. And if you're close to Sam's Club, you can go in and get a 13-bar box with other hit flavors such as brownie, batter puff, and churro puff. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Alaska or you're overseas listening in Finland. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers out there tomorrow, I'm going to have a live post-draft, post-first round podcast coming your way going to be dishing out my thoughts on the two players the Seahawks pick maybe three players that end up picking we'll see what happens but you'll be joining hope you'll be joining us for that show let's get to our final mock drafts Rob to this point we've done a handful of mock drafts here on the podcast and I always tell people this when they ask why we do so many for me it's a way for me to really investigate prospects going into the draft and really look at which players fit but once we get to this point We have to truly put on our general manager hats. And you and I always have a contest each year to see who can predict the most picks accurately. Last year, I got the advantage with getting both tackles in the first two days. This year, you're looking for revenge. So who do you have the Seattle Seahawks selecting in this 2023 NFL draft? I, I got him going with the best player available, and that's Jalen Carter. Um, and now, I, you know, Corbin, we've talked enough about Jalen Carter that I'm not going to get on here and try to, uh, you know, sell the Seahawks crowd that is skeptical about the character of Jalen Carter. I, I, I don't know any type of inside information that is going to make you feel better, except for the fact that I think there's a unique opportunity here with who Pete Carroll is, uh, with who Clint Hurt is um, in terms of coaches and just the, 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 the obvious fact that the geographical location of Seattle in comparison to Florida, where this young man was born and Georgia, obviously where he started at the high school level. I, I just see a player that if you hit on him, he is so physically dominant that it allows Seattle to be a playoff contender and continue being a playoff contender this upcoming season. I think that it's very difficult to expect the Seahawks to return to the playoffs next year. If they don't massively, improve their run defense 30th in the nfl a year ago the houston texans chicago bears the only teams that finished worse and they were the two worst teams in football a year ago i think what geno smith was able to do for the seahawks and just the just the the grit that seattle showed a year ago i think was wonderful i don't think it's sustainable and able to win a championship but if you've got bigger better players like Jalen Carter, then I think that you have a chance of doing that. And so to me, I, I, I get all of the concerns about this selection, but that's the direction I went at number five overall, just because I think that with Pete Carroll, I think that Jalen Carter can be the best version of himself and the best version of Jalen Carter is the best player in this draft. Yeah, that's an interesting pick for you there at number one, just from the sense that we're talking about the controversy and there's plenty of fans that are not in favor of that. There's a lot of fans that want Jalen Carter 
on the roster. What I found interesting looking at your mock draft as a whole, many of our listeners might be looking at the second first round pick and wondering, wait a second, is this mid-February? Because Anthony Richardson, early on in the pre-draft process, this is about where people expected him to go. And then there's been so much speculation about him being a top five pick, maybe even the number one overall selection because of his upside. And yet in this mock draft, you have him going to the Seahawks at number 20. And you mentioned it earlier that you just have a feeling maybe these quarterbacks are not going to fly off the shelf as quickly as people anticipated. Well, and they could. I mean, I, I think you could make an argument for Anthony Richardson as early as number one overall if you just want physical upside. I think the Carolina Panthers have to have a quarterback that's going to come in and be successful immediately. In my opinion, Bryce Young is that. You have the Houston Texans at number two overall that, you know, they, they've got a, a decent quarterback right now in Davis Mills. So, again, if you want, if you're going to take a quarterback at number two, I, to me, you have to have a guy who's going to be able to come in, hit the ground running. Again, I just don't know that Anthony Richardson with his 13 career starts really has that kind of track record. I think that Will Levis or C.J. Stroud are much more likely for the Houston Texans specifically. The Indianapolis Colts at number four overall. Obviously, one pick ahead of the Seahawks to me are a little interesting because when you have Jonathan Taylor and the running ability that Anthony Richardson has, I'm in, I'm enamored. I'm just in, so intrigued by that possibility. But again, that is a that's a risky position to put a pretty new head coach and general manager combination into. I'm just not so sure that they're going to be willing to do that. So. You know, as as it goes, Corbin, I just think that there's a possibility that Anthony Richards starts to fall down the board. Now, I will say this. I haven't fallen down the Seattle at number 20. Isn't that convenient? I will say, I, I think that Tampa Bay Buccaneers number 19 overall, one pick ahead of Seattle in this possible dream scenario. Tampa Bay at number 19. They obviously just lost some guy named Tom Brady. They're, they want to turn the page. Jason, like the general manager, is a very savvy guy, and he is known for taking players from his region, that Florida region. If you look at the Buccaneers' picks, a lot of them have been guys from that region. So I would not be surprised. If Seattle really wants Richardson and they don't take him early, I think they might have to trade up to get him. But I do feel, as I've said for you know months now, I think the Seattle is really intrigued by Anthony Richardson, so I would not be surprised at all. Even if they don't go with Jalen Carter, even if they do, if Anthony Richardson winds up winds up becoming a Seattle Seahawk. I would think if he falls out of the top 10, John Schneider is going to be working the phones. I would think he's going to be trying Absolutely. to find a way to move up. But as I mentioned first segment, he's looking to add picks, I think, more than anything. So maybe trading up is not something that's going to be the cards, even for a future franchise quarterback. Looking at the rest of your mock draft, Rob, just a couple of picks that really jumped out to me. I love pick number 37, getting that center. You talked about the interior offensive line the value of getting a player like Joe Tipman, who could be that long-term center they have needed since they traded Max Unger. I also like Zach Charbonnet at pick 52, one of the more physical running backs in this class, can also catch the football. Seems like a guy that would be a nice compliment to Ken Walker the third. And you got a couple day three selections that are intriguing. I really like John Gaines from UCLA. And Ronnie Bell's a player that actually had a visit at Michigan's Pro Day with the Seahawks. And so they have shown some interest in him. You take out an ACL injury, 21 guy that probably would be a draft pick, but looking at a mid to late day three selection, most likely that's where you've got him falling in the strap as well. Could be a guy that fits what the Seahawks are looking for as a secondary target. So those two picks on day three are ones that make some sense to me. Which other picks are you excited about from this mock? 
Well, I, I mentioned before the, um, you know, a, a guy like Henry Toto at the middle linebacker position. Um, you know, I, I think that that is a, a spot that is a, a position of concern. Um, and so uh, to me, he is a guy that uh, the instinctive factor, the, the ability to come in and play immediately. Um, as I said before, with quarterback, I think that that is going to play a factor in why Anthony Richardson might fall down the board a little bit. Same thing to me for Toto, why he might rise up the board a little bit. He's viewed by a lot of people out there in the media as fourth or fifth round picks. I'd be surprised if Toto doesn't want to be in a top 100 selection. Um, and then with Joe Tipman, whether be Joe Tipman, whether it be Steve Avila from TCU, whether it be John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, to me, those are the three guys that I'm really intrigued by. Uh, Scrugg maybe uh, from Penn State, uh, the, the Arkansas kid as well. Um, there's, some, there's some interesting interior offensive linemen in this class. Tipman in particular, though, I wanted to kind of mention, I just love the combination of his athletic ability and his size. Uh, but I do think that this is going to be a fascinating decision if Seattle goes with Jalen Carter at number five. If, if Seattle goes with Carter at five, this is one of the reasons why I do think that they might come back with a player like Anthony Richardson or perhaps even a Steve Avila, the offensive lineman, because I think that you have to have somebody who's big and strong and intimidating enough to kind of be somebody that can kind of push Jalen Carter. Whether it be a quarterback, he's got just kind of the, the charisma that Anthony Richardson has, the natural leadership skills that a quarterback better have if you're going to be talking about him as a first-round player. I think Richardson has that. To me, he would be an interesting complement to the the bus factor that some people believe that Jalen Carter is. And the same thing again with like a, say a Tipman who is a little bit of a cowboy. He's got some personality to him. So I think that he might have an interesting personality to push Jalen Carter. And then Steve Avila actually played, of course, against Georgia in the national championship game and be up on Jalen Carter a little bit with the size that you're looking for. So again, to me that I really think it's important that Seattle gets themselves a good interior offensive lineman guard center, make whatever argument you want. But if they take Jalen Carter, then get somebody who is going to be able to mash with him a little bit and really create that competitive situation that you want to help Jalen Carter exceed or excel in the NFL. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because, listen, what we decided to do with this, this was both of us with our final mock drafts. We've done the dual drafts where we had to pick different players. But you and I have some guys that we think are going to be good fits for the Seahawks that we share similar sentiments with. And I'm at this point of the belief that Jalen Carter is going to be the Seahawks pick at number five. I know there's a lot of smoke out there that the Seahawks plan to go a different direction. I just don't buy anything the couple of days before the draft. This is lying season in the NFL. So I think there's still a very good chance Jalen Carter is that pick. And when I put together my final mock, I try to take, I obviously use my player evaluation as a big part of it, but I really try to take my feelings for prospects and I try to put them off to the side and think, what does history show that John Schneider and Pete Carroll want? And what are they going to do at certain draft positions? And so for me, I decided to have a 12-pick draft class. I made a couple of trades for my final mock. I sent number 20 down to the Cowboys, who I think are going to be aggressive moving up, whether it's for Bajan Robinson or a tight end or an offensive lineman. I think they are going to try to move up a few spots. And that would be a team that would I would identify as a candidate for the Seahawks to trade down. And I think in that case, if Seattle slides down seven spots, I think John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota, is the one that they are going to roll with. The reports have been out there about their love for him as a prospect. 
to me, from everything I've heard, are 100% true, and it makes sense. He's a senior bowl prodigy, a guy that played outstanding football down there in Mobile. He's a physical center. He has started a number of years in one of the best conferences in college football. He's got the mental makeup that they're looking for, come right in and be able to lead an offensive line. And so I think John Michael Schmitz ends up being that second first-round pick for the Seahawks. And the other trade that I have Seattle making is in round two, moving down 10 spots from 52 to 62 with the Eagles, who have been known to trade up in the draft. They are an aggressive franchise and they have a lot of success doing that. I have Seattle getting that extra pick in the third round or end of the second round and then having pick 95 in the third round and 250 in the seventh round. And so that pushes me to 12 picks. And as far as picks that jump out to me that I was able to make in this thinking from John Schneider's point of view, I mentioned this earlier, I draft a safety with one of those new third round picks that I got in Sidney Brown, who not only does he look like Ryan Neal as a player, I, just a very similar style with more athleticism. So I think that that is that insurance policy, that hedge that you bring in for Jamal Adams. And if they invest that high of a pick in the safety, as I think there's a very good chance that they will, who knows what the future holds for number 33. He's got to prove that he's healthy. Otherwise, they may move on and put this draft pick from this year into the starting lineup next season and save themselves some money. I think that that is something that they got to be looking toward the future because Adams has not been able to stay healthy. So that's a pick that I'm really excited about. Jack Campbell with the pick number 62, future starting middle linebacker for you. And on my day three picks, two guys that really jump out. I know that I'm going against my own rule here. But Charlie Jones in the fourth round, I think he's the one that bucks that trend of fourth-round receivers stinking in Seattle. I love him playing with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett with his route-running savvy, his soft hands, the ability to move the chains, and, of course, Dwayne McBride as well, bringing that mentality of a combine mowing over guys with the football in his hand. Perfect compliment to Ken Walker the third. And so overall, I'm pretty happy with my draft, ending up with 12 selections and checking off a lot of boxes while also thinking – the way that John Schneider typically has in past drafts. Yeah, I think that you should be happy with your mock draft, Corbin. As you said, a year ago, you beat me. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, and, and I, you had the two tackles. Um, I, I felt pretty good about the fact that, uh, you know, a year ago, I thought that Seattle might invest in a running back pretty early. And of course, that was a, a bit of a surprise to a lot of people when Seattle took Ken Walker. I think there's a very good chance, sir, that you're going to want to beat me this year as well. Um, I, there's a lot of picks there that make an awful lot of sense. Uh, you know, we, of course, agree on Jalen Carter. As I mentioned before, if you're going to go with a player like a Jalen Carter, who is a little bit of a question mark, at least for a lot of people, then, then you can't you can't get a safer player than John Michael Schmitz. I mean, my goodness, you know. I mean, I, so I just think that I like the combination of those two. Um, you highlighted Jack Campbell. I, I like Jack Campbell. I like Will McDonald and Sam Laporta, uh, the, the guys that that kind of sandwich him in, in your mock draft here even more. McDonald, thirty four career sacks, just one half of a sack behind Will Anderson, and everybody talks about Will Anderson. Nobody talks about Will McDonald by comparison. He had 10 forced fumbles. Will Anderson only had one. So I, I love that production, uh, you know, and, and upside at that selection. Sam Laporta is my favorite tight end in this draft class for the Seahawks specifically. I, I'm really intrigued by him. I just, same kind of thing I talked about before at the cornerback position. I have some questions about whether Seattle goes at, uh, at tight end just because of all the bodies that they have there. Uh, but some of your late round picks, I'm really intrigued by Dwayne McBride and Corey Trice in particular. Uh, 
Bryce Ford Wheaton as well from West Virginia, another guy that, that really pops off the tape. Those are some guys that make a lot of sense to me. So, yeah, I, we all want to get the first round, second round picks right. But I wouldn't be surprised at all, Corbin, if you or I wound up getting some of these day three picks right. And more importantly, the Seahawks continue to get those day three picks right. Whether they only have the 10 selections as I projected or the 12 as you projected, I do think that that is going to be something that Seattle has to be successful on because, again, they're up against the salary cap, and that has been one of their trademarks is getting uh, really good bang for their buck in day three. The competition is officially on. First round starting tomorrow. So we will see who gets the bragging rights this year with the most accurate selections on who Seattle brings in with their draft class. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to shift our attention to quarterbacks. Rob doesn't think the Seahawks are going to draft one, but we still got to talk about this really deep, talented draft class. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Wednesday episode. Make sure to check out the Lockdown NFL Scouting YouTube page. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, and other Locked in NFL local experts are going to be providing live NFL draft coverage presented by Ultimate Football GM. Kyle and Joe will be live during all the rounds, one, two, and three. And then on Saturday, they'll get you caught up after each round. Join the draft dudes for the first round tomorrow night live on YouTube on the Locked on NFL scouting page at 7.30. All right, Rob, let's talk quarterbacks. And as you mentioned early in this show, maybe there's a chance because Seattle already has a pretty darn good cornerback group that maybe they don't address that position this year. But you've always got to approach the draft from a multi-year perspective. And Seattle may still have some long-term questions at left corner with Mike Jackson and Trey Brown being the current guys on that side of the football. And this is such a great class, particularly top-heavy. You and I have four different players with first-round grades for the quarterback. quarterback. And it's a much situation yeah exactly i think that you, you look at the top two guys then you you got devon witherspoon and christian gonzalez you i believe have witherspoon slightly ahead i have gonzalez slightly ahead the point is we view both of them as top 10 picks probably unlikely to go to the seahawks then joey porter jr of course the son of the longtime steelers great pass rusher great length uh doesn't have the ball skills that i think really would make him a great fit in seattle even though he does have the physicality the athletic bloodlines and certainly at 6'3 200 pounds with 34 inch arms has the the size that seattle has craved if you're looking for uh production on the ball then emmanuel forbes those of you who are watching on youtube and thank you as always for those of you watching on youtube or listening emmanuel forbes is absolutely unbelievable when it comes to just pure ball skills uh this is a kid that, that, that broke the record for the most pick sixes in his college career and Corbin, he only played three years. So for him to have six uh, with, I, I believe it was 14 interceptions, you know, unbelievable ball hawk. At the same time, he's 166 pounds. There's a reason why teams threw the ball at him. It's because they could body him up. And, and, and he's a guy that while he is, uh, you know, very quick and, and very speedy at the same time, you have some concerns. It's going to be a little hold up into the NFL. I think that he can. I, I have him as a first round pick. Um, I would take him in the first round it, just because, of, again, I think the ball skills translate. The fact he's a three-year starter in the SEC, never had any durability issues. Uh, yeah, sign me up. But at the same time, again, I get why he is going to be a concern for a lot of people. So I agree with you. I think there can be four, maybe even five corners coming off the board in the first round. I would be stunned if, if one of them is Seattle selection number five or number 20. 
Yeah, a player that we're not going to delve too much into that's been getting some first-round buzz has been Banks from Maryland. He has been a player that's been getting a lot of buzz, even though he only has two interceptions in his career. We talked about him extensively last week in one of our mock drafts that we were covering, but certainly he's a player that's been rising. Cam Smith from South Carolina is another one that I've seen mocked in the first round as well. I mean, this is just a ridiculously deep cornerback group and yet it does feel like the top two guys Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez they're kind of head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of prospects that's why they are consensus top 10 guys and they're different style players Witherspoon being more of the junkyard dog that really smacks people the enforcer I call him the devinator in the secondary this guy just demolishes people and Christian Gonzalez maybe not the hard hitter but 6'2 really athletic great cover skills would fit more of a system where he's going to be playing in man and, and dropping back into zone coverages, whereas you could do some different stuff with Devin Witherspoon being more of a press cover corner, more physical. You can play him in the slot and blitz. Both of them were very exciting. I want to talk about the day two guys, though, because this sure. is where we haven't had as much time. We've talked Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez up as potential Seahawks draft picks at number five. But if they're not going to go that route in the first round, you've still got some very good players on day two. And in particular, Julius Brents is one that jumps out to me as a very Seahawky corner. We're talking six foot three, long arms. He only ran a four, five, three at the combine. Still plenty fast enough for his size. Richard Sherman-esque type speed. But he looks faster than that when you watch the game tape. He also ran a sub 6.7 second three cone at that size. So he's got remarkable change of direction and agility traits. Good ball skills. I feel like this is one of those guys that's truly an ascending talent. And I would not be stunned if Julius Brent finds his way into the first round he is my sleeper from this group that I think because of what happened with Tariq Woolen last year he is further along development wise than Woolen was with several years at Iowa and Kansas State as a starter in the secondary and two really good conferences I think he's ahead of the curve he'll come up and he'll hit people you can move him around some and outstanding athleticism to go with that length and so if Seattle had a chance to get him that might be a corner that really stands out could you imagine him and Woolen together in the same secondary secondary or Keely Ringo for that matter another six foot two 200 pound corner that runs in the four threes he's got some technique stuff that needs sorted out but who better to coach those issues out of him than Pete Carroll and his staff and so I think him coming back to the Washington area Tacoma native he is a player that has been on their radar. They visited him at the Combine for a formal, and they also had him in for a top 30 visit. He is a player that may make some sense because of his physicality, his size, and his pure athleticism. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think it could be a situation kind of like, uh, you know, what is it, five, six years ago with Shaquille Griffin um, when he started to slide down and Seattle takes him in, in the third round. I mean, he was a guy that that had first-round tools. I mean, he's 4'3", as a six-footer. Those guys are are pretty rare. So uh, I think that there's a possibility, like a Keely Ringo, if he was to start to fall all the way down in the second round, then, then sure, that makes some sense. You mentioned the South Carolina corner, Cam Smith. And, and so I'm going to kind of pivot off of that and actually talk about his teammate, Darius Rush. Now, the South Carolina corner had the two best corners in the country, in my opinion, at least in terms of a tandem. And, and so Darius Rush and Cam Smith, they're, they're different guys. Um, Rush is the guy that um, I, I'm most intrigued by in terms of going to Seattle. Um, he's a guy at 6'2", 200 pounds, 33-inch arm. 
arms, former wide receiver, goes to the senior bowl and stars and just checks so many Seahawks boxes. Um, you know, and so to me, again, if we're gonna, I as I said before, I don't expect the Seahawks to take a quarterback even though I really like this draft class. Again, I just think that their roster is pretty flush at the position right now. But still, Rush is one of the cornerbacks, one of the many. You mentioned a couple other ones that I like. Um, but but Rush is one of the guys that, again, I think is just still uh, kind of an ascending talent. Again, as a former wide receiver. And the flashes that we saw at the Senior Bowl, there were some people who thought that maybe he was more of a safety guy, that he wasn't didn't have truly the elite man-to-man cover skills, but he really was impressive and mobile. Uh, speaking of people impressive in, in man coverage, talk about a guy who's complete opposite of a Darius Rush, but a guy that I want to really tout here um, is the Utah kid, uh, Clark Phillips III. Now, again, the opposite of typical Seahawks. We're talking about guys 5'9, 180 pounds, short arms, uh, you know, all the things that say no, he's not a Seahawk, except for the fact that he went to Kyle Whittingham's program, was a three year starter. He, he was the highest recruit ever signed by Kyle Whittingham. And the Seahawks, of course, have signed, have drafted a lot of players out of Utah over the years. I myself have seen Kyle Whittingham on the Seahawks sideline with Pete Carroll. So I know that there is a familiarity between those two two of the, the head coaches I respect the most in the game, period. So I do think that there is some possible connection here with Clark Phillips III. In, in my opinion, Corbin, he might just be the best man-to-man corner in this class. Again, he's small, but he, he's ultra quick. He's an absolute playmaker. I believe he had, uh, you know, I think it was four interceptions returned for touchdowns over his career. He led the Pac-12 interceptions this past season. So talk about a ball hawk. Uh, again, to me, if you're going to go day two, then there are some sea hockey kind of corners with the length and, and the speed. There are also some play my playmaking guys. There's just not a lot of guys that have both. That's why the guys are going to go four or five or we will go in the first round. Real quick, looking at day three, a lot of our listeners might be thinking, man, Corbin talks about the Big Ten all the time. Well, I am from Indiana, so of course I'm going to maybe have some bias towards the Big Ten. But there's a lot of really good prospects coming out of the Big Ten this year, maybe more so than even normal. In particular, there's a lot of good cornerbacks that could go on day three. So I want to highlight Riley Moss from Iowa and Corey Trice Jr. from Purdue. Now, these two could not be any different in a lot of ways. Riley Moss is more of the traditional build corner, around six foot, under 200 pounds. Corey Trice Jr. is six foot three and has really long arms. He looks like a typical Seahawks corner. Riley Moss has sub 31 inch arms, so he does not have the length they have normally preferred to that position. But interestingly enough, Riley Moss is the better run defender of the two, even though he's the smaller guy. He is the more willing to come up and and make hits. He's a cleaner tackler. Trice, though, is arguably the more natural all-around cover corner of the two. Now, ball skill-wise, Riley Moss had 11 interceptions in his career, so he gets his hands in the ball and he finishes plays. Trice had quite a few interceptions at Purdue as well. Both these guys have good ball skills, but you actually see a lot of natural fluidness in coverage and zone and man from Corey Trice Jr. And Moss, you do have some times where it looks like he gets beat speed-wise and he's not able to recover, even though he ran in the 4-4s. That doesn't always show up on the film. I still love the player, though. I think both these guys on day three, Moss has the ability to play some in the slot if you want to use him that way. Trice is exclusively an outside, a boundary corner with his size and length and the ability to run with guys downfield, make plays on the football. Both of them have their flaws. 
which are why they're day three prospects. But Pete Carroll, these are the kind of players, both of them, they check off a ton of boxes they're looking for at the quarterback position. And these are the kind of guys that Pete Carroll has made his money developing throughout his coaching career. Yeah, and Trice in particular, I'm a big, big fan of Corbin. I, I would have talked about him if if you hadn't, uh, you know, got dibs as a a, a Big Ten native. Um, I'll, I'll kind of jump in with a couple other day three guys that I'm intrigued by. Jay Ward um, from LSU is one. Now, Jay Ward's an interesting guy. We, we could have had we could have mentioned him previously. Yesterday's show we talked about safeties. Jay Ward actually started more games at safety than he did at corner. But the fact that he did start at safety as well as nickel as well as outside corner i to me there's a little bit of trey flowers uh you know element to his game that that versatility the physicality um the awareness and coverage the positional versatility obviously in seattle trey and in and in the cincinnati Bengals, uh trey flowers played corner but uh you know previously oklahoma state he was a safety and I, to me jay ward is interesting guy on day three and then garrett williams i've talked about this strategy before corbin it with seattle having the 10 draft picks or perhaps more if they follow the strategy you outlined before and try to acquire more selections i just think that it makes so much sense to invest a draft pick in a player who is coming off of an injury uh, at least if he's a good player i talked about this before with like say the morris trophy award winner andrew Voorhees, the guard the tour his ACL at the combine he's probably going to miss the entire season but my goodness he's a good football player invest a fifth round pick in a guy that could be a future starter well the same thing here at Garrett Williams he tore his ACL back in October but Corbin he's a three-year starter an ultra productive player he doesn't check all the Seahawks boxes he doesn't have the elite height he's 5'11 190 ish I, I think he's got like 31 inch arms again not exactly the perfect Seahawk pick, except for the fact that if you can get a discount on a really good football player because you have so many draft picks, again, that's the type of cornerback. That's the type of investment I think the Seahawks should be considering in this class. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and other major podcast platforms for free to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, I will have a live post-draft podcast where I'll be breaking down Seattle's selections. They're looking at two first-rounders. Maybe we get a surprise in their three. I'll be diving into all those picks and everything that transpired in the first round in Kansas City. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.